Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is a podcast from Minute Media. Two crazy conference championship games. One and a half crazy retirement updates. And some Ravens news this week on Pod Like a Raven. Yeah, so we will have both conference championship games to discuss some more doozies the nfl is loving this they've gotten these nail-biting games they're getting the la rams in la which i have some suspicions about and then we also have a couple of retirements i say one and a half because one is certain and one is not and then also some interesting ravens news to talk about i am antonio barbera and i'm joined by my two co-hosts to unpack all of the NFL news this week, starting first on the West Coast with Jace Evans. Jace, some football, some news, some explosions in the media world. Are you keeping up with this? How you doing? Yeah, it's it's been one of the busier uh, football weeks, it feels like, uh, Antonio, in quite some time. I feel like it's been forever since we did the show. So much seems to have happened, in the, certainly in the NFL world. Um, but yeah, I mean, a great weekend of games, uh, some very unexpected results, certainly things I did not foresee happening when the season began have unfolded. Um, but it was just a really exciting football, especially coming off a, what I thought was an all-time great divisional round weekend. I don't think this conference championship games quite lived up to that, but they were pretty good for back to, uh, as far as back-to-back, you know, conference championship games go. So it was, it was an exciting day. We had some friends over. Uh, watched some games uh, in the house, in the went out to the garage for the late game uh, when we had some more people to have a little more seating. It was, it was just a great day all around. So it was a pretty solid week for sure. Yeah, Jace mentions a lot of things happening in the last week. We were uh, doing a little pre-show discussions here, and I had missed about half a dozen storylines because I didn't realize they were in the past six or seven days, but they were uh, as the NFL news cycle continues day in, day out. Uh, on the East Coast, Tim Horsey. Tim what was your what was your favorite part about this weekend the uh, the two the two football games or uh, Ben Roethlisberger maybe no longer being in our lives officially? 
Oh, man, that's tough. <laughs> I mean, I would say uh, Ben Roethlisberger and Tom Brady, but as we'll get to, the Tom Brady stuff got technically shot down, even though uh, he's probably still going to retire and then overshadow <laughs> Big Ben's retirement ceremony one last time, uh, which would be absolutely hilarious. Uh, so still hoping that happens, Tom. Maybe just call it quits. We're kind of done with you, too. Uh, but no, nah, but the football was really good. I, I, I you know, it, the divisional round, I think, is always the best because there's more games. And this one for sure was outstanding. But as we're going to talk about these these conference championship games lived up to the hype. I don't love that an AFC North team not named the Ravens is going to the Super Bowl. I don't love that we can no longer do the well, Lamar is at least younger than Joe Burrow bit because um, yeah, that guy's really good. But. Yeah, I guess I guess let's just rip the band-aid off. We gotta talk about it. Yeah, we we've lost a lot of uh Cincinnati jokes as well over the weeks. So we'll have to in the off season we'll have to dig uh we'll always have Cleveland lines. We'll always have Cleveland. <laughs> uh we will talk about those two games, but this is a Ravens podcast. So the first thing we're gonna do is go over some seemingly all good uh, NFL or Raven updates, excuse me, and let's start with the big one. The Baltimore Ravens have a new defensive coordinator, Mike McDonald, officially hired. Not an inside hire, exclamation point, but he's definitely still an inside hire, exclamation point. Jace, Tim, Mike McDonald was a Ravens coach for a long time, went to Michigan for all of a year to be their defensive coordinator back in Baltimore. Tim, tell us what is McDonald going to bring to this Ravens defense as the new defensive coordinator? Well, it's funny because I'm going to ask Jace that exact same question as somebody who actually watches a lot more college football than me. But, you know, you look into kind of what McDonald did, obviously, um, and I'm trying to pull up the name, Jace. Not Aiden Hutchinson, who's the other one, the other defensive end. David Ajabo. David Ajabo, who might be there at 14. Well, yeah. (laughs) Keep an eye out in the draft. (laughs) We'll see. Um, Two guys that obviously Hutchinson has the potential to go number one overall in this draft. Guys that really flourished under Mike McDonald, which is something that is impressive. I like that he is – I like that he's a younger guy. I like that that youthful exuberance for as much as that's worth. Um, According to the Elias Sports Bureau, the youngest defensive coordinator in the league – I like that he already has a relationship with a lot of these guys being in the, in the Ravens facility, you know, not last year, but the year before that. And for a long time before that as well, he knows the building. He's an NFL guy. It's not going to take him long to get adjusted. And then I know it's PR speak. I'm a hundred percent aware of that and aware of the biases that you do see, but the Ravens did release a Mike McDonald mic'd up session from training camp two years ago. And as I believe um, somebody from the Baltimore Beatdown podcast, I can't, apologies, I can't remember the name, um, but credit to them. It's not an original take. But basically saw that video and said, that guy is pre-workout in human form. And I completely agree. He's all caffeine all the time and probably doesn't drink a lick of coffee. Um, and you got to love a guy that brings that type of energy um, to a defense that, frankly, you know, we're going to talk about it here, has a lot of things to fix. So, Jace, I turn to you. What does Mike McDonald bring to this Ravens defense? Yeah, I uh, to just give a shout out to the guy, uh, Tim, you mentioned, Jake Luke, the great. Uh, he was the one who had that great tweet um, of uh, talking about Mike McDonald wearing a bucket hat and a, a gator uh, and camo shorts <laughs> uh, at, at during training camp. Fits right into the, the Ravens fan base with that look. So that's uh, that's that's number one, what he's bringing to the Ravens. But uh, no, I'm very excited. Well, exactly what you mentioned, uh, Tim, just with, um, 
I think what you saw, the, the, the leap in improvement Michigan made was very exciting. And I think it makes me excited. You know, this it's weird because to be an external hire, this is probably about the least exciting, quote unquote, external hire you could make. Because it's basically, they thought this guy was going to be the next defensive coordinator uh, when Wink Bartendale left, basically, when he was on the team. Uh, and he interviewed for the job, in fact, when Wink got it, uh, when he was on the staff. Uh, when he was then, I guess, only 31 years old. Um, and so, you know, he, he's, as Tim said, he's young. That's exciting. Um, the downsides of that certainly are uh, if he has success in this role, he will almost certainly be poached for a head coaching job in two to three years. But, you know, I'll take that because that means the Ravens defense has seen massive improvement. And I think, you know, cross that bridge when you come to it. That's fine. But, uh, yeah, I'm excited. I think I think the other thing that excites me about this um, is that he was their number one choice. You know, that seems kind of obvious, but, like, clearly they wanted Mike McDonald. He was the guy they targeted, uh, that they were able to pry him away from Jim Harbaugh's staff. Uh, I know there's, you know, Harbaugh's future in Michigan's kind of up in the air, but... Michigan's a great program. I'm sure McDonald was making good money there. Uh, but he clearly, you know, he has NFL ambitions, it seems. And uh, it, it, to, But to identify him as the guy you want and get him, I think, is great. Because it means the, the team's in alignment. Uh, you know, no matter who us fans wanted, I was kind of partial to Anthony Weaver because I like the idea of, uh, you know, former Ravens player being the defensive coordinator. But, uh, um, you know, the, I guess the downsides are he is low on experience. He has one year calling plays uh under his belt but as tim said that one year was very exciting he he's turned hutchinson into probably and hutchinson he i believe he went on chris long's pod and really praised mike mcdonald um but yeah as tim said he's going to be a top three pick at worst probably uh and ajabo's shaping up to be a top 20 selection as well from the other side and he he really even more so than hutchinson came out of nowhere um this season and, and it seemed like they had a lot of success uh they played three four at michigan which obviously the ravens have employed heavily over the years um reading jeff's remix piece it seems like you know the, the, i guess if there's a quote downside to bringing in a guy like mcdonald it's that uh clearly they're not going to stray too far for what john harbaugh likes or uh desires um and that's why you kind of circle back to a, a guy you know but on the whole i think i am excited for it he's young He'll bring like a, I think a little different perspective. I don't want to say connect with players too much because Wink certainly, you know, players loved him. Uh, but this is a guy who's over 20 years younger than Wink Martindale. And um, clearly, you know, for a team in need of, I think, just new ideas, uh, new uh, energy, just something different based on how bad the season went. I'm excited for the hire. I, th I, um, I think, I hope, it works out. I no way to know really until he does it, but certainly that the, the fact that the Ravens liked him so much and were able to get him, I think is at least a positive sign. Yeah. This seems the, the going to Michigan part is the funniest to me because of the Harbaugh connection. <laughs> it just sort of seems like a, listen, we know like, it's like sending a guy to triple a for a year to get more seasoned and then come back up to the bigs when he's ready to have that role. Like he was doing well in Baltimore he was in contention for defensive coordinator, not quite ready yet. And then a little while after that is like, well, why don't you go off to Michigan where our, you know, the other Harbaugh is like, obviously that yeah. was like a 
kitchen conversation, well, I feel like. Yeah, hi- hired, like, on John Harbaugh's recommendation, basically. Of course. He was like, we have this guy you might like. Uh, and then, you know, when you're ready, we'll, you'll come back to us. When the timing is right, you'll come back as defensive coordinator. But with the plus side being, he did really good at Michigan. And Michigan had a really great defensive season. So I, I agree with all that, Jason, in terms of... It looks like a plus-plus in terms of it, it is that safe inside. We know this person. He knows the players with the plus side of he had success when he had that, like, year-long internship abroad <laughs> and then came back <laughs> with new experiences to share and hopefully some, like, cool, you know, some new things that he picked up that he would not have had had he just stayed with the Ravens uh, through to becoming defensive coordinator. Yeah, exactly. I Yeah, I'm... I'm excited. It'll be interesting. Certainly, this is a, a, a very important offseason uh, for the Ravens. But, um, yeah, I think on the whole, uh, it, it's hard It's hard to quibble too much with it. He seemed like the favorite and that they went out and got him. And got the deal done relatively quickly. They did interview a ton of people um, but in, in a short amount of time. But, yeah, uh, it seemed like he was the front runner all along. And clearly, he wanted to be here. So, I, uh, I hope it works out. Yeah, and that's such a good point, Jace. I mean, you mentioned, like, look, you know, we're not – We've mentioned the time all the time on this podcast. We're not all 22 guys. If you want to do that, there's plenty of podcasts for that. Come here for the bants, as they say in the UK. But um, the number one candidacy thing and the efficiency of the deal getting done thing. He wants to be here. We wanted him. Let's make it happen. Boom. You look at some of these head coaching searches that we're going to get to later in the show. They're just dragging on and on and on. And we're not at a point yet where, you know, it can really affect your season. But it's nice to have that guy in the building, signed, sealed, delivered with so many other things that we um, that we have to answer and questions that have to be you know solved in the, in this offseason window for the Ravens. And for me, too, I think one of the biggest things um, for the Ravens here is that, look, we, we called it last week. I called for Vic Fangio. You call for like a Mike Zimmer type guys like that when when Wink was was uh, let go. But that's not what the Ravens do, and I kind of credit them for it's it, maybe it, this is purple tinted glasses, and that's fine if, if you want to think that. But being a little bit outside the box, we're not. It's not just bring a guy that literally is all Wink Martindale all the time. He might have something else, or he might have learned something different from where he was. And and again, I stress, I love I love the youthful hire. I think I think bringing in a younger guy with that type of energy. Is only going to help a, a, a relatively young defense. I mean, if you talk if you talk about some of the key figures outside of guys like Calais Campbell and and such, there are some younger guys in this team that need guidance, and he might relate more to those type of guys. Well, Tim, you mentioned the younger defense, uh, and that's a nice little seg- segue because the defense got younger uh, over the past week with the retirement of. Co-cat himself, Anthony Levine, uh, fan favorite, franchise favorite, I guess, uh, a 10-year Raven, uh, a Super Bowl winning Raven, officially announced his retirement and got a lot more attention than I think was expected, given that he was like a special teamer. Uh, he sort of timed the retirement announcement very well in that I think it was like the maybe the day before the Roethlisberger one or something. He, anyway, he didn't have it happen on the same day as one of the bigger ones. So got a lot of, a lot of bump uh, within the Ravens organization and within the NFL circles. Uh, so congratulations to Anthony Levine on a strong, all positive career in terms of what his NFL expectations were. 
gets a ring, is staying with the organization in some sort of assistant role. So to all those NFL free agents-to-be listening to Pod Like a Raven, uh, this is what can happen if you want to be a Ravens lifer, if you want to have that long career in Baltimore, uh, you know, opportunities come about after uh, after you <laughs> retire. So I don't know if you guys have any thoughts on uh, Anthony Levine. Quickly, special teams matters. Anthony Levine, 146 games with the Ravens. He started five. The only reason he was with the Ravens for so long, and, and trust me, he didn't come in on sub packages a lot either. He came in a lot this year because they needed it. They did not like him as a defensive player, but they liked his leadership. I mean, a guy's named Co-Cap for a reason or nicknamed Co-Cap for a reason, and they loved his special teams play. It is a third phase of the game for a reason, and, you know, I don't have to tell future NFL players this, but if you want to carve out a career – be good on special teams. If you're not good enough to, to be offensively or defensively uh, involved, playing on special teams, especially for a team like the Ravens, obviously John Harbaugh, former special teams coordinator with the Eagles, that stuff matters. And, you know, credit to him. And I think it's very cool. It's another nice notion that the Ravens, you know, they reward their own. I mean, we talk about the promotions for the defensive coordinators and stuff like that when they think a guy is ready. McDonald is you know, essentially a promotion with the year abroad, as Antonio joked about earlier, they they are a good organization because they find good talent and they keep it in-house and they find a way to cultivate that culture, um, for lack of a better term. So good on him, happy retirement, and, you know, let's see what he can do in his new role uh, with the Baltimore Ravens. Yeah, Antonio, you mentioned a Ravens favorite, uh, and, and Tim, you mentioned him too. Certainly a John Harbaugh favorite, Love right? Him. I think Levine's got to be on the short list of Harbaugh's favorite players probably ever. Um, and you know, yeah, you mentioned his leadership, the co-cap thing, and kind of always maybe chuckle as a nickname, but they, you know, you, you see the, the outpouring of like love and respect for this guy on social media, including from players who weren't like, weren't there that long or like, like uh, I saw Mark Ingram had like a tweet for him and he only, you know, played two seasons here, never played a down of specialties for the best of my knowledge, but just like ha had like, had like just such appreciation for this guy. They clearly loved him in the room. Uh, and he's like one of these guys, you know, that we, uh, the sort of name of our podcast derived from play like a Raven and the, you know, Anthony Levine is kind of, is one of those guys. He kind of sets the, set the standard, even though, as we said, he didn't, you know, he mostly stuck to special teams, but he was a, he was a key leader for the room clearly. And the, certainly Harbaugh and the coaches in the franchise loved him. And yeah, it's good. to be sticking around. Who knows? They may end up as like an assistant special teams coach in the future uh he seems like more almost a consultant for now but yeah it's great great to have him still sticking around for a guy that everyone seems to you know love in there so uh yeah congrats to him i mean 10-year career undrafted guy as he said carved out uh just a uh, 10 years on special teams basically uh and you know um here's to his next chapter it's fun to have him around uh you know, if all their random plays, that fake punt against the Dolphins was fun, and the uh, Ravens showed and their, his uh, kind of retirement montage uh, video. But, uh, yeah, um, he, not a ton to say, honestly, for a guy who was around for so long. But uh, certainly I think a guy will be missed, at least for his leadership in the locker room. There's a clip, and I, I don't even know if it's from this season or the year before, uh, where it's like the Ravens audio, like game day audio, picking up. Levine talking to Geno Stone after Stone had made like a mistake or something and it's like a full like two minute clip of Anthony Levine like pep talking Geno Stone on the sideline and it was cool to see and he sort of talked about his own 
career and his own mistakes and how he was able to push through it and that's how he was you know you you can't live on the stuff that happened in the past and the mistakes and you got to make the next play and that's how he was able to stay in the league for 10 years and it was cool to see and it gave me an understanding of how he stuck around and what his value is for this organization moving forward so good stuff there from anthony levine uh and then the last bit of ravens news is john harbaugh we record this on mondays typically and he had his uh first media press conference earlier today uh and i believe it was his first one from when the season ended uh so he had some things to say but he also had not some things to say necessarily (laughs) uh jace kind of the classic harbaugh discussion or did he give a little more info than uh than we would expect from from a john harbaugh uh, talking to the media (laughs) He, yeah, I mean, it was very hardball in many respects. Uh, some things, you know, the the one of the big talking points that kind of came out of it was uh, him kind of addressing just the Ravens' sort of injury situation this year. Um, and his t- credit, you know, he's uh, not burying his head in the sand and saying flukes happen. He did say, uh, quote, you can call it bad luck. You can say it's a fluke. I get that. I don't feel like we have the luxury to live there. We have to turn over every stone. We've got to look at every possible avenue to bo- to do the best we can to make sure this doesn't happen again. That's what we plan on doing. Uh, and he later said, we're looking at everything and we're going to change a lot. Uh, but what he's not changing is he's still bringing back their uh, strength and conditioning coordinator, Steve Saunders. Um, so what all these changes entail is uh, kind of uncertain at this juncture. Um you know, that he apparently met with the Ravens performance staff for four hours at some point, which I'd love. I don't, it'd be very bored, so I don't want to say I'd love to be a fly on the wall. That's like the I, entire lifespan of a fly. It would be the four hours <laughs> on the wall listening to that meeting. <laughs> yeah, yeah like I'm just I'm genuine, genuinely curious, like what a four hour meeting is like, like what they're talking about. How like because for me in my head, I'm like the meeting would be like 10 minutes. It'd be Harbaugh be like, how'd this happen? And they'd be like, well, this and this, and they'd be like, let's fix that. And then you, you go about your day. But uh, yeah, so that was kind of interesting, but I, I think and I kind of to tee up Tim a little bit here. I think the big, uh, we certainly talked about the hiring of Mike McDonald. Um, and I think the other, the other big talking point certainly coming out of uh, this uh, press conference was the continued employment of uh, Greg Roman. Um, and I know that's certainly been a point of contention in the fan base. I'm not the hugest fan of it, to be honest. Uh, we talked about uh, when Wink Martindale was let go, uh, how perhaps other coordinators should have joined him. But yeah, it seems like Roman's sticking around. Harbaugh had like one, and I don't have the, of course, the quote handy now that I'm thinking about it. But he had like a weird sort of phrasing on like Roman's like the coordinator for now but at this point they're not gonna like make a change so yeah so that's that's the the big the big thing is Greg Roman uh still here and Tim I know you have probably some yeah John Harbaugh with the ultimate tease of Ravens Nation with the quote but it's still early no John you already made the move for Wink you wouldn't just keep Roman on for whatever let's let's read through some of these right Harbaugh says and this comes from Jeff Zarebeck's Twitter feed of the Athletic Harbaugh said he plans on Greg Roman being back, but, quote, it's still early. That's the plan, and I'm excited about it. We've done some pretty darn good things here offensively. But our run game just wasn't as good. We didn't have any explosive plays. Let's look at 
any smart football person, you can find whichever one you want online, on Twitter, on podcasts, on broadcasts, that say the passing concepts aren't good enough. Sixth graders could run the passing concepts that Greg Roman has. Let's not forget the tight ends coach, Bobby Ingram, gone. Offensive coordinator, Wisconsin. One of the wide receivers coaches, T. Martin, who was brought into, oh, he knows Hollywood, this is going to be great, yada, yada. The passing game starts to improve. He's interviewing for the Bills offensive coordinator job. And yet, here we are, stuck with a man in a pivotal, another pivotal year for Lamar Jackson. What could be his final year of his rookie deal or the start of his massive extension. And it's the guy that we've already peaked under in Greg Roman. I know injuries are a problem. He also, when he when referencing Ronnie Stanley, John Harbaugh said, uh, we have to, you win and lose in the trenches. Thanks, John. I've been saying it on Pod Like a Raven for three years now. Glad you listen. And yeah, you want to come on anytime. Open invite. And yet, he wants to, like the, like the injury thing, Jace, he says changes have to be made. There are changes that need to be made. There are the things we have to do. We have to overturn every stone. We have to look at everything. When the answer is staring you in the face and you refuse to make a move on it. I am already upset and we're going to talk about, the, we'll, we'll get to the games, the conference championship and everything else. The Ravens, as constructed at the moment, are not a Super Bowl contender in a loaded AFC. If you improved the offensive guru, if you got a, and I know he just got a head coaching job, but let's, you know, for example, a, a, a Brian Dayball type. To maybe come in, and, and that might be the wrong one because that's pass, 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 and the Ravens actually do want to run the ball. So, But somebody else, a new, fresh idea. Let's. I know we built this team around Lamar. We built this scheme around Lamar, but clearly it needs to change. Harbaugh coming out and saying it needs to change. Basically saying we racked up a lot of yards, but they didn't turn in the points, which is the point of the game, John. <laughs> and they're keeping the guy who has helped stagnate this offense last year. Um, and, yeah, clearly I'm, I'm discombobulated. I'm infuriated. I'm confused. These people are smarter than I am. But it just seems like one plus one equals two, and they refuse to look at that, and they're going to continue to just say, no, 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 no. It's definitely three. It's definitely three. No, it's two, and two is getting rid of Greg Roman. Three is keeping him on and hoping it improves when all the evidence you have is that it's not going to improve, I'm just, it really bums me out. And, and like Jay said, you know, Harbaugh going, but it's still early. Well, no. Like, if you already got rid of the defense coordinator, we know what's going to happen with the offense coordinator. And I don't know if it's a buddy-buddy thing. I don't know if it's a they don't trust that they can bring somebody else in. I don't know if they don't trust Lamar to be able to deal with a different system. That is a question that not a lot of people want to ask, but maybe that is – Part of the reason, a more complicated passing scheme with stuff they've seen in practice, maybe they think, I don't know if Lamar could handle that. That That is something that has to be asked here. But at, at the end game, I just don't think the Ravens can go as far as they want to go with the offense they're currently running. And it doesn't look like it's going to change, even though Harbaugh is saying through his teeth that it's going to. So it, that, that part, through a lot of coach speak, was incredibly upsetting. Well, Tim, I think you've... Uh... You've unearthed something there at the end of your statements there that I think have to be looked at. Um, if all of us know that the passing concepts are too simple for today's NFL, Greg Roman knows it too. Is he unable? Is he like f mentally and physically unable to come up with more complex passing schemes? Are the Ravens unable to bring in 
an offensive assistant whose entire specialty is just passing concepts. So I think the an issue here may be Lamar Jackson's progression of like taking the leap of NFL passing offenses. We don't know that, right? We're not in the rooms. We don't have the meetings. But it just seems impossible otherwise that they wouldn't be doing things to try to bring in a more complex passing offense, which and maybe that will happen. Maybe that's this offense, uh, this offseason's goal is keeping Roman because he does he. It's possible he does know how to you know make the offensive schemes more complex in the passing game. He just hasn't done it yet because they're still working on adding these layers in with the quarterback. And, and we don't know it. I don't like speculating on things I don't know. But it just seems like too easy. It seems too obvious that they would have just done this if that were the problem. If Greg Roman literally was paging through his playbook and just said, I don't have it. I don't know what to do here. <laughs> so it's tough. It's tough to think about because we have seen over the past few weeks the level of passing attacks in the NFL and they are terrifying and the Ravens is bad at the moment we do other <laughs> things well and we do other things to move the ball downfield but the passing offense is bad and it could be both problems at the same time and like there are, there are definitely issues here in terms of the sliding scale of is it your quarterback's abilities or is it the coordinator or is it the head coach you know where exactly do these things fall in terms of being able to correct this problem yeah and I don't want to be you know reactionary right but let's look at the Bengals and the the entire case for the Bengals remember that at five we all said Penne Sewell Penne Sewell's the guy you have to go get they draft Jamar Chase Burrow and Chase are incredible I think maybe I could coach them and they would still be decent enough right <laughs> but as much as old man Tim and I'm sure old man Jace doesn't want to admit it maybe running the football just isn't like the key to success anymore you have to have a dynamic attack when you're going at look at the final four teams here the only one that was the sturgid run the ball and clearly doesn't have a guy as talented as Lamar at quarterback were the Niners you look at Cooper Cup and the Los Angeles Rams you look at Patrick Mahomes Tyree Kill Travis Kelsey the Kansas City Chiefs Burrow and Chase as I mentioned before with the Cincinnati Bengals yes talented players and you could argue that the Ravens maybe don't have guys at that level but Hollywood's okay. Mark Andrews is an all-pro tight end. And Rashad Bateman is coming into his own as that, like, receiver one type of guy for the Baltimore Ravens. You have to be able to scheme for those guys. McVay gets Cup open. Cup is, Cup is fantastic, right? But he wasn't a first-round pick. He wasn't, like, this, this super-lauded guy. And he worked his butt off for that and good on him. And But they scheme things up to make it easier for these guys. And... Lamar, who, I'm sorry, Ravens Nation, is not as good as Patrick Mahomes, is not as good as Joe Burrow, is uh, Matt Stafford at his peak, you know, Matt Stafford now, I don't know, maybe, whatever, if you want to debate age, fine. I like Matt Stafford more than most. Whatever, you can have that debate. But Lamar is going to suffer without the right coaching. And these guys are, these guys who are better than Lamar Jackson are elevated by their coaches and, and you know, you can speculate any way you want. Maybe Lamar's just not good enough, and they, like I said before, they don't trust him in a different scheme. Or what we all kind of assume, he's being held back by a, a prehistoric, prehistoric passing game. And I say this as somebody who is referencing 
multiple people. Uh, Derek Klassen, D-E-R-R-I-K. He's a, a football outsiders guy. If you type in football outsiders, what's wrong with Lamar Jackson? You'll find the article. It's from earlier in the year when the Ravens were struggling. And he details a number of things that, that Lamar's being hindered by with coaching. And all of that rings true. And it's not just this guy. It is so many guys saying, I'm so frustrated watching Lamar in this offense now. It's, it's your smart guys, your Nate Tyson's, your Classens, your Warren Sharps, all these type of people that know more football than I. They, they're going to forget more football than I know. And I know Harbaugh and Roman are in that category as well, but it just seems the evidence is overwhelming to the point of something has to change or it's a, hey, Lamar, you know, hey, Excuse me, I'm knocking my mic over. I'm so furious. <laughs> <laughs> this is the last year of your deal. We're going to give you a new offense, and maybe it takes a year to adjust to, but we need to see enough progress from you that we are going to move forward. And, and look, I think the Ravens are going to extend him anyway. He's a special talent, yada, yada. I'm not trying to disparage Lamar here, but you have to find out. You have to find out because if this is the only offense he can run, this offense ain't good enough. It's just not. You're not winning a Super Bowl the way they're playing right now. Th that's kind of my concern about the whole just Greg Roman coming back, Tim, is it just, it felt like a good time for change because I do actually think the Ravens offense is going to be better next year. I think uh, like, at least just by proxy of you have JK Dobbins, who was awesome his rookie year and Gus Edwards back. And if you have Ronnie Stanley back and he's even like 75% great, cause that's a massive improvement at tackle. If Ronnie um, Stanley is 70% of himself, he's 300% of what left tackle was. <laughs> Uh, last season yeah. yeah so like i think there's going to be improvement next year but like for me i'm just scared that to, to all the points you're saying is but is that enough in january if that's yeah obviously the ultimate goal for the ravens is to win the super bowl um and i don't know like, and that's why i just think it was a good time to make this change it felt like a time for a reset i think harbaugh is a great coach but you know they they finished last in the afc north for the first time since 2007 um, they missed the playoffs for the first time with Lamar uh, in the Lamar era. It, it just felt like a time to to try new, fresh ideas. And that's kind of the weird paradox of John Harbaugh. I guess this is things you can see when you just have a coach for so long. He's now, with Sean Payton uh, resigning, um, he's now the, the third longest uh, tenured coach uh, in the NFL. Uh, John Harbaugh is behind only Bill Belichick and Mike Tomlin. And... So we've seen him a long time, and so I, I still think there's value in it, obviously him being in the position, but, you know, he we've seen him make radical changes over the years, but at the same time, he also likes what he likes. I think that if there's any concerns I have, as we kind of mentioned about Mike McDonald, it's that um, he's about as internal a hire as an external hire can get. Uh, he, he, like, he likes what he knows, and certainly, you know, we saw him employ Cam Cameron for five seasons. Oh, uh, um, and, uh, you know, that certainly wasn't working well. <laughs> and, you know, we saw, like, one season of Gary Kubiak, and Flacco was so good that Kubiak got a head coaching job. Like, the, the coordinator positions matter, and, you know, but Harbaugh seems... Like, he, he seems to like what the running the ball, what Greg Roman's doing. But, yeah, I mean, he even said it. Like, there weren't explosive plays. We talked about the Ravens were the only offense without a play of 50 yards, which is insane to think about when we, you know, we watched that, the, the Bills uh, Chiefs game last week when, you know, Tyreek Hill's just running for 64 yards on, like, one catch to take a lead in the fourth quarter. Like, we can't do that. And, but I think. We have players who should be able to do that. Hollywood Brown has the speed, in theory, to be able to do that, and it just doesn't happen. And so I just thought it was a good time for a reset. But um, 
it doesn't appear like it's happening on the offensive side. And that's, I think, the real sort of disappointing thing to take away from sort of John Harbaugh's kind of year-end press conferences. There are changes, certainly. And I don't, I think we said we, I don't think we disagree necessarily that it was time for defensive change uh, in many ways. But I, I almost feel like they just aren't going far enough. And um, I, I, like, I think the Ravens will make the playoffs next year. I think they'll have a very good season. Their schedule's very easy uh, compared to what it was this year. Um, and uh, I also don't know if they're any closer to winning the Super Bowl than they were two years ago. So it's a weird place for the franchise to be in, for sure. I'll end this with sort of a fun uh, anecdote. Late in the season, so I watch a lot of the games with my uh, with my dad. Uh, and late in the season... Uh, my dad got a little frustrated at Harbaugh during this losing streak. And I think we, it came to a head during a football watching season. And we ended up, we had to make a bet because that's how, the, how, how things boiled down to stop a discussion. And it was relating to John Harbaugh, uh, maybe not being the coach of the Ravens at the end of the season. And so with the Steelers loss, the friendly wager was in effect. And I offered up 10 to one odds that Harbaugh would not be fired at the end of the season. And that bet was taken. Uh, it was made. And then in the weeks since, uh, it has been fairly clear that Harbaugh is staying, and instead it was Martindale to leave. And so we have uh, the bet's been closed, officially, between my, my dad and I. Uh, bet's been cashed, even though I had to give up these 10-to-1 odds in order to win. Um, <laughs> but I, it's not impossible that Harbaugh was under a little bit of pressure as the season ended and he goes to whatever it was Mexico the Bahamas uh, to have the, the Bahamas. <laughs> <laughs> to have the meeting uh with Bishotti and I just wonder if in those discussions it's a something has to change and he picked Wink Martindale instead of Greg Roman and he doesn't want to do maybe both coordinators in the same season because then wow, that's a lot of turnover, and that's a lot of things to adjust to. And it's just interesting, the politics of these type of positions, even though it's clear that this offense needs to get better and needs to get more sophisticated. So we will see what the heck happens uh, in the offseason, in the draft, uh, and next season with, with this Ravens team, with this Ravens offense. Um, with that, we're going to turn away from the Ravens news. We have some NFL championship games to discuss, but first... We're going to tackle the random Raven. And uh, Tim, you are up this week, so who do you have for us? So this one, uh, shout out a good friend of mine, Matt, who sent me this this morning as we record on Mondays. And um, knowing the news that we had to talk about, I said, this is perfect. We have to do this. And his words, not mine, I'm shocked that Jace hasn't picked this guy out yet. So I, I don't know if that's a hint or not. I think this one you guys will get, and I think the listeners will get this too. I, I, I have faith the listeners will get this one. Um, and there is a, you know what? I'll save that as a bonus clue. I'm not going to say it yet because I do think this guy's relatively easy. But here we go. Clue number one. This first team all Big Ten selection was drafted in the first round of the 1987 NFL draft. <laughs> clue number two. This player played for 14 seasons in the NFL. He spent seven seasons in the NFC with one team. And the other seven split between three AFC teams. He was in Baltimore for one season. The Antonio Special. Clue number three. This player has been inducted into the Indianapolis Colts Ring of Honor. The Indianapolis Colts Ring of Honor. 
Here I stress, not Baltimore Colts. Jerks. Clue number four. During his one season in Baltimore, he led the Ravens to a 5-7 and seven record in 12 starts, throwing for 1,839 yards with 12 touchdowns and 11 interceptions. That yardage count is still good enough for 11th on the Ravens' all-time passing list, one spot above Super Bowl-winning quarterback Trent Dilfer. And clue number five, speaking of the Super Bowl, the Ravens have defeated this person to win a Super Bowl. Fabulous. So it gets very it's a fantastic. easy to but it's a good one. <laughs> it is a good one because... It's a fun one. <laughs> yeah, you're right. It, it was very well described. We know this player, but I think the casual, maybe the younger Raven fan would be, uh, dare I say, shocked to know that this guy was a quarterback for the Baltimore Ravens for that that one season. That's a fantastic selection, Tim. Uh, We will answer that one at the end of the episode, but it is time now to turn to the actual NFL football that occurred this past weekend, and we're going to start with Bengals Chiefs. I picked the Chiefs in our our gambling section last week as a seven-point favorite. And in the first half of this game, I have rarely felt more confident in a playoff pick than I did after the first half of Bengals-Chiefs. And yet, Joe Burrow, Joe Cool, uh, yet another iteration of Joe Cool and the Cincinnati Bengals come back, win this game. They're going to a Super Bowl. I don't know what happened. Guys, I'm going to turn, before we get into details here, just the overarching uh, discussion of this game. I don't know what happened. I don't understand. I've looked back at this. Patrick Mahomes genuinely looked like two different players from the first half to the second half. And I get teams make adjustments at halftime. You can change your defense. But he looked like he didn't know how to throw a football very well anymore after that. What happened in this Bengals-Chiefs game? The pass rush started getting after him a little bit. And the Cincinnati Bengals dropped eight back. And just like everybody did early in the season... They said, Mahomes, you're going to have to dink and dunk. We're going to force you to dink and dunk. And Patrick doesn't want to do that because the Chiefs are better than everybody else. They think they're better than everybody else all the time. And they want to do the touchdown play every single time. Patrick Mahomes lost this football game for the Kansas City Chiefs outright. Outright. Not Jackson. Not Brittany Mahomes or whatever her name is. I don't care to look it up. Patrick Mahomes lost this football game for the Kansas City Chiefs because he refused to change. The Chiefs love getting too cute. They love thinking they're better than everybody else. They have this air of arrogance that should be completely wiped out of the building. Andy Reid, now one Super Bowl win in eight conference championship appearances with the Philadelphia Eagles and the Kansas City Chiefs, respectively. Travis Kelsey is 32 years old. The big contract for Mahomes is about to kick in. Tyreek Hill, who knows? A guy like that, an athlete like that, that can break down in an instant. These smaller wide receivers, you see it all the time. The Chiefs' window might be closing faster than we think it is, and they they blew this. I was with the Antonio. I was on Chiefs minus seven as well, and I was I was like, this is a route. This is this is Chiefs gonna Chiefs. And then you know what, Andy Reid, players coach and all, I love it. He trusted Mahomes when he shouldn't have trusted Mahomes on that final play of the of the second or the first half, excuse me, and it was what was it five seconds left or whatever. They wanted to try and run a quick play for a touchdown. Mahomes panicked. Tried to do the Superman play and ran the screen to Tyree Kill. Why Tyree Kill's even sitting there? Send every guy in the end zone. It doesn't make any sense to me whatsoever, but that's another conversation. Mahomes tried to do everything. 
tried to do it too much. And then in the second half, credit to the Bengals. They said, we'll sit back and we're gonna, they're going to have to try and beat us. Even with an 18-point lead, by the way, he is forcing deep throws and forcing the money plays and all this stuff. And Mahomes lost in the football game. Kansas City Chiefs fans need to learn need to learn that because he's the golden god and nobody wants to insult the ketchup-loving quarterback in Kansas City. Sorry, I just it curses me out. He lost in the football game, and now they're going to be sitting there all year thinking, or all offseason thinking, it's not going to be our last opportunity. Patrick Mahomes is a great quarterback. But there's something fundamentally wrong here that needs to be figured out, and this season showed the massive problems that Kansas City has. Yeah, while I certainly wish the Ravens made the playoffs, games like this are like a reminder of just how haunting the playoffs could be as you watch. Because the, as you said it, Tim, the Chiefs blew this, and their fans and the players should be thinking about this one for a long time. Because I think they were the team to beat for the Super Bowl, and they came up short. And you're exactly right. It was mostly Patrick Mahomes' fault. It was stunning because you mentioned like he tried to force it, but that was... What was so good about his performance against the Bills is he didn't hit a lot of deep against the Bills. Uh, I think air yards, I don't know that he had a pass over 20 air yards against the Bills, but he was taking what they were giving him, uh, and he had a magnificent performance, um, but he just wasn't doing that with a 21-3 lead. And that, you know, so that's an Andy Reid problem as well. Uh, I agree. He said uh, on that play uh, before the half, Tim, uh, he said it could he could have given them a better play, and I agree certainly. Yeah, thanks, and I Andy. I did love the play call, but at the same time, Sherlock that's on Reed, Mahomes. by the way, Coach Sherlock well, like, Reed. <laughs> yeah, but at the same time, like I I do think like Mahomes bears some responsibility for that because if if it's clear Tyreek Hill's not going to waltz into the end zone when you do that design, you have to just spike that thing into the dirt with like two seconds to go. Um, they left three points on the table, obviously important when you lose an overtime by three points uh, there. But I, even at that point, I didn't think it would matter. Uh, the phrase, this game's over was said multiple times in the first half amongst us this, when it was 14 to three, uh, when it was, especially when it was 21 to three, when they score on their first touchdowns on their first three drives. Um, it, it just looked like the Bengals had no answers. And even with them not getting points at the end of the half there, you're like, well, the Bengals didn't stop them. They let the Chiefs march in a minute and a half right down to the, the cusp of the goal line, and it was only the Chiefs screwing up. You were like, eh, this game's over. There's no way. And then the Chiefs, after halftime, have 83 total yards in the entire second half. Um, in you, you speak of uh, on Mahomes, uh, Tim. He was 18 for 21 for three touchdowns in the first half, and at least one of those incompletions was a drop uh, in the first half. Um, three touchdowns. But 8 of 18 with th two interceptions after halftime. He was awful. And it was shocking uh, just to see because it looked like they, they were in so control. I was like, the, I woke up Sunday and the idea of the Bengals going to the Super Bowl never crossed my mind. And it was just a, a complete collapse by the Chiefs in. It's stunning. And you mentioned not to get too ahead of ourselves, but, you know, a guy like Tom Brady. Um, you know, the Patriots did not blow these games. That was the hallmark of Tom Brady, like uh, Tom Brady teams. And we talk about, will there ever be another Tom Brady? No, because Patrick Mahomes is 25. And this was another chance to add a Super Bowl and they missed it. And he's got one. Tom Brady's got seven. No one's getting the seven. It's hard to win the Super Bowl. Uh, and I think this game showed it, but you know, it's the Chiefs own fault. They blew it. They blew it so hard and their home stadium with a 21-3 halftime lead it's just unacceptable it's crazy and i i couldn't believe it and how bad he was in that second half especially and i mean the final interception he's he's trying to force into double coverage to tyreek hill in overtime and 
it's just it was bad. It was bad all the And way there's around. the point I want to pick up on as we transition to the Bengals a little bit. And obviously, Antonio, I want you to have your say as well. But he kept forcing throws to his two guys. What did we talk about last week with Aaron Rodgers? And by the way, the Brady point, as you mentioned, uh, Mahomes, I believe this stat was Mahomes already has more home conference championship losses than Tom Brady ever had at New- <laughs> in New England. So that's fun. Um but you talk about Aaron Rodgers and trying to force it to Devontae Adams against the 49ers last week, right? Mahomes has two of those weapons, and it's Tyree Kill and it's Travis Kelsey. And as you mentioned, the stats look okay. Kelsey, 10 receptions, 95 yards, and a tud. Tyree Kill, 7 catches, 78 yards, and a tud. But a lot of that's in the first half. A lot of that. What did Joe Burrow do in the first half? The, the, just like the Chiefs did against the Bills, they said, we're going to take away Stephon Diggs. They tried to take away Jamar Chase, which, you know what? Credit to him. That's the way you should do it. Joe Burrow went and found T. Higgins, who actually ended the game with the most uh, yards. He had six receptions as the Jamar Chase. T. Higgins went for 103 yards. Jamar Chase, 54. They adjusted. They made the plays, and they they were willing. And T. Higgins is a great wide receiver. Don't get me wrong. But they were willing to adapt from plan A and do plan B when needed. And, my God, just – I'm wondering – when the threshold is going to hit of me hating Joe Burrow. Is it the next time he beats the Ravens? <laughs> is it the second time that he embarrasses the Ravens? Like the second after the first time I just said, you get it. When is that threat? Yeah, yeah, that right. Third, fourth. Yeah, we can count here on Pod like Raven. I, I don't know when the threshold is because I'm starting to get to that point. Like the cockiness stuff we're talking about in the first half. It's like, Wow, he showed up in that outfit, and now he's getting smoked. It's, it's like, okay, here come the Burrow jokes. He's going to have to take it at some point if he gets embarrassed. Dude just wins football games. He has no offensive line. We talked about not drafting Penny Sewell. He's running for his life. He's doing the – it's an easy comparison, but he's doing the young Big Ben thing where he's getting out of these sacks. The Chandler Jones play. Chandler Jones had him twice dead to rights, and he still runs for a third and seven and gets seven and a half and runs out of bounds. It's those – those type of winning plays that Burrow makes all the time, and it's just like, why can't you be a Seahawk? Or like, I don't know, a, I'm trying to think of some, or a, a Jaguar maybe. I guess they're in the AFC. Some random NFC team that I can't think of because they're random. A Bear. That would be cool. Be a Bear. Everybody likes the Chicago Bears. Why not? They're the love of the Atlanta Falcons. There you go. There's one. The, be an Atlanta Falcon. Thank you. That's the, or Carolina Panther. That would be perfect. <laughs> For Joe Burrow, he stays in the SEC area, and one of those two. Um, credit to the Bengals, man. They they it was the same thing as we all saw. You know, they played in Week 17, and we all went, well, you know, the Chiefs went up early in that game. They're not going to blow another lead. And Joe Burrow said, "Yes, you are." Uh, and my dad and Jamar's dad are going to go smoking cigars out together after the game. Which immediately I went, I saw that picture. If you don't know, Joe Burrow's dad, Jamar Chase's dad, they both went to LSU. Obviously, both the dads were out. They took a picture of them smoking cigars after the game in the parking lot, and I just went, F, they're cool. And I hate it so much. Uh, oh, oh, boy. Um, <laughs> I don't want right. to anger my co-hosts. I thought Burrow was fine. I thought he was okay. In my description, my prediction for this game last week, I said the Chiefs are going to, uh, the Bengals are going to score like in the 20s, somewhere in the low 20s and the Chiefs will get in the 30s, and I don't think the Bengals can keep up. That was my assessment of this game. That's why I was confident picking the Chiefs at minus 7. Their offense is too potent. The points are going to be there. The Bengals can have their best game in a playoff situation on the road, but they can't get to 30 points, and that's going to be a problem. 
And they didn't get to 30 points. They couldn't get to 30 points. That was how this game was going. It was just the Chiefs did... Not, they just stopped doing anything. Uh, Burrow made some plays. He got out of a couple of sacks. He had a couple of nice runs. He had a couple of nice throws. Had a terrible interception. They scored a touchdown on a short field off of the Mahomes interception. To me, it's just... This game was there for the Chiefs 800 different ways. And I... It is baffling to me that it is as simple as the Bengals did the same thing that other defenses did to the Chiefs earlier in the season. But the Chiefs figured it out. It's not like defenses stopped doing what was successful over the last seven, eight weeks. The Chiefs just figured it out and started to win every football game they played in. And I'm... I, I, Mahomes even had some short throws in the second half where he just missed guys by a lot. He was like airmailing throws in the flat, to, and he just doesn't do it. And I part of me thinks like he was hurt at some point in that game. He got nervous. He started overthinking. The play calling didn't make any sense. And even with all of this, the Chiefs still had a very legitimate chance to win this in regulation and just chiefsed it. As Tim talked about, they overthought it, completely outthought themselves. They get to a first and goal at the five-yard line with a minute and 30 seconds left. Romo's going off on a corona tangent about how they shouldn't even oh. try to score, which was, that was fun. <laughs> Rony Tony, uh, for, man. Dear Lord. <laughs> that was bad. I th- it, it, I, another thing, it seems impossible that he didn't realize this, but the Chiefs were losing. It was not a tie game where you're trying to run all the clock down to kick the game-winning field goal. They needed a touchdown to win the game. A field goal would only tie it. But anyway... They're at a first and goal from the five with a minute 30 left, and the Chiefs are essentially trying to run out the clock so that the Bengals cannot have any time left. And they're also trying to score a touchdown at the same time. And if you're doing that, I don't think you should also be calling pass plays. They tried to do too many things at the same time. They wanted to run the clock. They wanted to score a touchdown. They also wanted Mahomes to throw the ball on every down. And that's why he took two sacks in a row because he can't throw the ball out of bounds or can't throw an incompletion because he's being told that that will stop the clock and that's not what we want. We don't want to have the Bengals to get a chance left. So at a first and goal, just run it more than once. Try running it three times. Try doing their little uh, like inside shovel pass to, Travis, to, to Kelsey or to somebody else. Try rolling Mahomes out so that if the throw isn't there... He can run forward and get a yard or two and keep the clock rolling. Instead, they just did the classic drop back. He found nobody, even though they were open guys on those plays, but then is in trouble in the pocket with nowhere to go. He does the run around and loses multiple yards on multiple plays. It was just so, so many mistakes were made by the Chiefs in a half of football to lose this game, and they made all of them, and they deserve to go home. Congratulations to the Bengals. I do not like an AFC North team in the Super Bowl. That's not Baltimore, but I like I like Burrow's swagger. I get it. He made a couple of plays, but this just to me is so much more of Chiefs did every, everything in their power to overcomplicate and to lose this game that they were in complete control of, starting from the last play of the first half all the way through the second half, from the players to the coaching to the decision-making. It was just horrendous. Uh... And you don't deserve to go to the Super Bowl uh, when when that happens. Um, guys, anything else from this game before we turn to the NFC? I don't want to stop you guys with any other comments you may have. Nothing on me. 
Nothing. Nothing. Go. Yeah, well, I, I just I agree with you, Antonio. Like, I thought Burrow was fine. He made the plays, like you said, uh, Tim, you mentioned, the, the, especially that one escape on those sacks. Back-to-back third-down scrambles for first downs on the, the drive that puts them up a field goal late. Uh, he made some nice plays, but the interception was horrible. Like, that was awful. You have the momentum. It's a tie game, and you just first pass just gets undercut, trying to kind of force it uh, on that drive. Uh, but the Chiefs, as you said, didn't do anything with that drive. I believe they went three and out after Burrow served up that interception near midfield. So, um, yeah, I, I congrats to the Bengals. It's been 33 years since they've made the Super Bowl. Um, I'm stunned they made it. They uh, set a record for having the fewest wins in the prior two seasons, uh, in two seasons prior to going to the Super Bowl, since they have all of six wins in the two previous seasons. It's outright stunning that they're here. Um but I agree. The Chiefs blew it. Um, you know, congrats to the Bengals, but uh, I-, I thought the Chiefs did a lot more to, to lose this game. I mean, you mentioned that final sequence, Antonio. I mean, that last play was or Patrick Mahomes takes a 15-yard sack and fumbles the ball. He could have, they could have not even been kicking a four. They shouldn't have been kicking a 44-yard field goal. It should have been a 20-yard field goal at best uh, to tie the game, to send it to overtime. But he, uh, he, he, he's lucky Joe Tooney bothered to run back to where he was because if he fumbles that ball and the Bengals recover, they don't even get a chance to then blow it in overtime. So, uh, yeah, I was a, a horrible collapse by the Chiefs and frankly stunning. But, yeah, congrats to the Bengals. I lied. I have one quick thing. This comes from Joe, Joe Goodberry, <laughs> uh, noted Bengals. Good, good Bengals Twitter follow. Good time to follow him this week if you're on Twitter, at Joe Goodberry. Uh, here's a stat for you guys. If, if you want, here's a guy that I would love for the Ravens to have that the Ravens have never had. Jamar Chase has 101 catches this season. He's been tackled by the first defender 15 times all year. So, <laughs> we're just, uh, Tim, we're not, we're not bad enough to get these guys. I, I hate how saying, we can't be bad enough to get these guys. Are you saying it's a bad thing that our, uh, our number one receiver has, uh, been tackled before the first defender even goes to yep. him by virtue of just falling yeah, on the ground. Yeah, Hollywood. Uh, and I actually, you know what? I lied. I want to correct. Joe, Joe Gerberry actually says, I bet he's been tackled by the first defender 15 times all season. So not an official stat, but it's I believe it because of how good Jamar Chase is. I mean, yeah, it's it stinks. Uh, I'm not a fan of the Bengals at the Super Bowl, I'll admit, but good for them. Uh, and it's going to be a problem for the Ravens for years to Here's come. a transition for you, Antonio. Go Rams! In the NFC, the Rams come out with a three-point victory against the 49ers. This one, more of a defensive battle, uh, was 7-7 to uh, late in the first half. Occasional big plays, and then the Jimmy Garoppolo. Yeah, we basically had a, a Garoppolo, the full Garoppolo in this game. Um, numerous, numerous back foot throws, a lot of potential interceptions, and then the cherry on top with his worst throw on their last drive that then leads to the game-ending interception. 49ers up 17-7 to in this game in the third quarter. They went on like a drive where if the 49ers do win this game, uh, that's like a drive that people are talking about. Multiple 49ers just dragging Rams across first down lines, whether it be Debo Samuel, uh, the running backs, other receivers, Kittle. Uh, a nice Garoppolo throw to Kittle in the end zone to make it 17-7. And at that moment, I thought, oh my goodness, uh, these 49ers, I've never picked them right. I have no, I have never had enough faith in them. They're doing it again, um, but just not enough from from Garoppolo. Not enough from the 49ers. 
I'm going to bring up two plays that happened in this game back-to-back and then uh, turn to my co-hosts here. After that 17-7 to score, the Rams go immediately down the field in an important drive for them, make it 17-14. to And then there are two plays that are consecutive that you could say doom, doom the 49ers. On their subsequent drive, they get a fourth and two from the L.A. 45-yard line, elect to punt instead of going for it. On the exact next play, on the first and ten, uh, one of the members of the 49ers secondary, I think it's Jaquiz, I don't remember the first name, but Tart, drops a truly punt-like interception on a terrible Matt Stafford throw. If you watch the uh, the highlight of this and listen to the audio, Joe Buck actually says, and it's picked before the drop because of how clear and open this was. And... The, that was it. Uh, you know, not that was it, but you have to catch that. You have to go for it. You have to be aggressive in these scenarios. And it was two back-to-back plays that the 49ers could not recover from, and the Rams end up taking this game by three points. Guys, what were your uh, your thoughts on the uh, the evening game? Yeah, I mean, that, that sequence was just so huge, Antonio. It really felt um, like that was kind of a game-changing moment, especially the bit, uh, you mentioned the Rams tie the game on that, on that series where that this, this dropped interception on the first play. Um, it was a strange game, uh, which is, I think what seems to be the case when the 49ers are involved. I don't know if that's a Jimmy G situation. Um, I mean, you said it so well, Jimmy G showed why he's not going to be their quarterback next season in these playoffs. Um, you know, he, he and he started off good. He had two touchdowns, his first touchdowns in the playoffs, in fact, uh, this game um, uh, early. And, and when it was 17-7, I was worried for the Rams. Um, I thought, I was like, Niners are up 10. You know, Debo, get the, get the ball to Debo. You know, you have this, this great defense. Um, you have a 10-point lead in the fourth quarter. Great defense. And they blew it again. This is like the third straight playoff exit for Kyle Shanahan where his team's had a double-digit lead in the fourth quarter and they haven't sealed the deal. I don't know what the deal is with him when it comes to this. This one seemed the least... Well, I can't even say that because I agree with you. I thought they should... They had, The move was to go on that, on that fourth and two, I think. Um, when you really have a chance, especially after the Rams answered your touchdown with a touchdown, you know, you have a chance 17-14 to at least get it to 20 points if you get it i mean it's fourth and two you're you're on the other side of their feet like there was just no value punting there and i know they weren't like having a great day running the ball outside of debo's carries and that's credit to the rams front i would say um but it was it was a lack of aggressiveness by the niners it was jimmy g being a huge problem you mentioned the final throw antonio which is one of the worst interceptions i've ever seen to end the game (laughs) but uh the play before that you could tell he was nervous and wasn't for the moment when he panicked through a ball 150 miles an hour at a running back four lines behind like four yards behind the line of scrimmage and he took a three yard loss when they have one timeout it was just you could tell like in that play i was like oh he is not calm and collected right now and then the next play was that interception when you're like well, this sack's awful, but, you know, Donald did bust through that line immediately on that play. So you're like, I can at least defend it a little. Like, he didn't have much time. It stinks, but you have one more down for a miracle play, and then he throws the ball out, like, as you're thinking all this. So it was it was a, it was a tour de force from the Niners, but I don't know 
I can't say undeserved from their end. Like I think I think the Rams showed some things that Stafford passed that should have been picked was awful, but otherwise I actually did think he had a pretty solid game. Uh, Cups incredible. Cooper Cups amazing. Uh, and two more touchdowns in this game. Um, another hundred yard outing. Eleven hundred yard outings on the season now. Um, so he's he's a special player. Um, but yeah, the Rams, I mean, I guess this is, we talked about it on and off throughout the year with the Rams when the Ravens played them and elsewhere, but I think this game showed the value of stars. In the biggest moment of the game, Aaron Donald completely cratered the middle of the 49ers offense line against some pretty good interior linemen, Alex Mack, you know, like 15-time Pro Bowler there at the center or whatever he is, but yeah, it, it was a weird game, but I, I think in the end, the Rams stars um, made the difference. Uh, certainly in the end of the game, uh, Stafford, pretty impressive performance for a guy similar to you, Antonio. I've not been, uh, super high on throughout the years because I am of the mind that if you're as great as people say you are, you should elevate your team more than he has, but now he's in the Super Bowl, So, you know, maybe, maybe that goes to show you, it certainly shows why the Rams made this trade. So, yeah, in the end, um, I think it was just the stars were the difference, and the Niners. Yeah, Jimmy G. We saw why he's not going to be their QB next. Yeah, I don't want to. You know, I don't want to go too. F- you know, tread over too much of the same ground because Jay's kind of nailed it completely. I love the Niners. All I, I've said it on this podcast multiple times. The hit that I was able to do for Oddspedia, a European like betting website, uh, preseason. I said the Niners are a sleeper team. I, I was all over them all year. I love them. I love that they're old school. I love Debo. I love defense. I love running the ball. Um, Sean McVay tried to give them this game, and <laughs> the, the the boy genius label needs to be ripped off of him uh, now because that, that challenge on the fourth and two. Oh, my God. That guy can't handle timeouts to save his can't. life. Can't. <laughs> Call him an offensive genius if you want. Fine. The offense is great. Head coaching genius? I don't think so. The problem here, right, is before he challenges this, Shanahan has the punting unit already on the field, which boggles my mind. Then they challenge it. Nothing happens. He brings the, he brings the, the guys back on. He brings the offense back on the field, and everybody knows that they're not going to go for it. You just sit there. They're doing the fake hot, hot, hard count, whatever, what have you play, um, and I just I don't understand the ineptitude of some of these coaches sometimes from both McVeigh and Shanahan's end. And I just I don't. It seems weird to me. And I guess I think we're blessed to have a guy like Harbaugh who notoriously couldn't handle timeouts earlier in his career. And I think (laughs) has gotten a little bit better with that stuff. Um, And I don't know. It might have been it might have been in that drive where the challenge was. I'm trying to look up exactly where the challenge was here. But outside of that, right, the Rams tie the game and they'd have no timeouts left. The next drive, Jimmy Garoppolo pass incomplete. Jimmy Garoppolo pass incomplete. Jimmy Garoppolo pass incomplete. I loop in this drive with that fourth down call. Kyle Shanahan, you are the apex of the run coordinator genius guy. Have your play. Have your plays that work. You're fourth and two when you need a conversion. Have the one that you know is going to work, the guaranteed play. When you have the ball... With Jimmy G as your quarterback, who Jace mentioned it, we don't have to go over it. I'm, stop defending Jimmy G. I don't care who you are. I don't care if you're Jeff Garcia, whoever it is. Stop, because he's not good enough. Everybody knows it. Everybody knows it. He's not good enough. They have to move on. It's why they picked a guy who isn't ready at number three, because they thought that guy would be better than Jimmy Garoppolo. And this game proved it. It's his last game in San Francisco. And if it's not, I, you know, if I'm a Niners fan, I'm rioting. 
But Shanahan gives that guy the ball. And hindsight's 2020, but you have Debo, who is one of the most electrifying players in the league. You have an offensive line that can clearly run block, even though, like Jace said, they weren't going hog wild. Control the clock, try and get in field goal range with one of the best kickers in the NFL and Robbie Gold, and end that thing there with the Rams, who had zero timeouts. I thought it was another absolute collapse, not nearly as bad as what the Chiefs had, but still inexcusable in a way. Um, and, and am I excited to have the Rams rather than the Niners in the Super Bowl? I don't know. Maybe. I like the Niners. I know there can be boring for some people. The Rams are fun. Uh, but I just thought that they completely ruined their chances um, to, to, to make it to that final game. And you know what? I'll say it this way. I love the Niners. I'm glad they're not there because I'm tired of watching Jimmy G. The guy just ain't good enough. <laughs> Yeah, if I have a 4th and 2 situation on the other team's 45, and I have Debo Samuel on the roster, let me just snap it to him. Just in the shotgun, figure it out. <laughs> 2 yards, I have no doubts that you can find 2 yards. On the 3rd and 2 of that drive, I think they give it to Kyle Juszczyk, I yes. think. Yeah, and then uh, and then the challenge comes, so I was right. Then the challenge is, comes, and then they put the, the punting unit on the field, all that stuff. Just uh, just give it to Debo Samuel on on the on the third down on third and two, and just let him break 800 tackles. He's so good. Uh, I have uh, one side note to this that I want to add, and then you guys can add in whatever final uh, comments from this game. Um, Joe Buck. Um, I think he's a love him or hate him guy. I I usually fall in the middle. I think or I, usually I think I like him, but he is notoriously bad at exciting plays and i don't really know why uh and joe buck's call of debo samuel's 40 yard 44 yard touchdown is the worst announcing call since whatever other terrible joe buck call he's made on a huge play Uh, please go back and watch it please please go back and listen to it on this play debo samuel weaves through traffic breaks multiple tackles then outruns two guys, and Joe Buck's description of the play is, Samuel, good play, great play, and in for the touchdown. Everything about it was bad. It was not descriptive to what was happening. It was not exciting, until the emphasis on the word in, as if it was surprising whether or not he had crossed the goal line, but that part was obvious. (laughs) So he missed all the, like, fun amazing things that Debo Samuel did on that play. Joe Buck, the worst big play announcer uh, in the NFL. And there are some other not great ones, but he avoids the big play like the plague. Way to go, Joe Buck. Okay, I have a follow-up here, and I want to do this quickly with the two of you. Um, Because Antonio glanced over it, and it should be brought into light more. I don't disagree. I like Joe Buck. I don't disagree. He's a baseball guy. The big moment in the NFL sometimes escapes him. That is fine. Um, But at least he's sober in the booth. Unlike one Tony Caroni Romo, um, who has gotten progressively worse over and over and over again. He thinks that all we want to do is hear him. And uh, I'm tired of, I don't know, Jim, every time there's a big play coming up. So I ask you as a duo, as a duo, would you rather have, because I the the combo of a Troy Aikman-Jim Nance, they're, they're, they're not the same style, but I like both of them, especially Aikman this year. Aikman has gotten really salty and old, and I'm, <laughs> I'm here for it. And I think I, well, I was listening to another podcast today. Apparently, he's a free agent, so he doesn't really care what he has to say. 
Good on you, Troy. Love it. Uh, so combo, guys. We don't have to dive deep into this, but quickly. Would you rather have Troy Aikman and Joe Buck or Jim Nance and Romo call a big game? I, I don't know who has – I think it's NBC that has a Super Bowl this year, so it'll be Michaels and Collinsworth. But if you had to supplant them, you can't have those two, and you have to go with Nance and Romo or Buck and Aikman. Jace, who are you going with and why? I'm going with Buck and Aikman. Uh, I am with you that uh, Romo has hit a point with me where I am not a huge fan anymore. He's fine. Sometimes he has some nice analysis. I will say, uh, to his credit, uh, Romo's credit, that, that Niners-Cowboys game uh, in the first round, I, I honestly, it was probably something I knew, but he was, you know, his analysis of, like, the ref has to spot the ball, that was good. He was on top of that. But other times, yeah, the, the what's going to happen? Oh, this is so exciting. I, that has started to wear on me. Take us to break, uh, Jim. Hard. Take us to break. Yeah, yeah, just he's constantly talking. And, uh, yeah, I like Troy Aikman. I think, you know, I don't know that he provides groundbreaking analysis, but I think he's funny and gets the job done. And, you know, Buck I used to dislike way more when I was a kid. I do think he's gotten better over the years. He's gotten a little more exciting. I remember Antonio, uh, one of his most unexciting calls of all times the helmet catch if you go back and listen to that it's something like manning escapes throws it downfield caught by tyree which is like the most under underselling it is the of biggest that. play in the history yeah. of the nfl yeah yeah literally like the most astonishing play in super bowl history probably <laughs> and that's his call but um uh but i do think he's gotten better since then he certainly shows more personality i think i think Buck, that was a bad call by him. Uh, I was kind of surprised, too, because that run was insane, and it seemed like it was kind of nonchalantly covered on the broadcast, but I was like, this play's insane. What's that? Why Why isn't everyone freaking out? Um, but yeah, I, long story short, I would definitely rather have Buck and Aikman. I think Buck doesn't get a lot of things wrong, and yeah, and then with Aikman, I'm not dealing with Tony Romo, so <laughs> I'd rather have... Just quickly, <laughs> Antonio, because I don't need to go hard agree with that last sentence there. That That's why. It's not Romo. Give me Aikman and Buck. Yeah, it's a good, uh, it's a good question, Tim. That it kind of becomes like, who do I hate more, and <laughs> rather than who do I like more? Um, Aikman has gotten, I think he's gotten better with this whole free agency. Hundred like, percent. I like him more when he's, and he's not just, he's not just old man yelling at cloud. He's right with his things. Yeah. <laughs> he's just not afraid to say them. I guess. Which hopefully in whatever next deal he gets, he had typically it'd be the opposite, right? Like once you get the deal, you're comfortable saying whatever. Uh, I have liked him being more critical and pointing out mistakes as they're happening. The Romo stuff is just oh my gosh, he's like the, he's the the new employee at the company where you meet him at like a happy hour or a lunch or something, and you're like, oh this guy this guy gets it, he's cool. He's got a lot of great things to say, uh, super smart. But then, like, as the weeks go on and as you have more and more staff meetings, it's like, oh, my gosh, he's not going to shut we up. To, we we have to talk about something else. We're on slide two, Tony. It's a it's a 20-slide PowerPoint. We have to get to the rest of it. And that's that's driving me crazy because I am I'm a big Nance guy. Love Nance. He can do no wrong for me. Uh, I think he's got the right, like, tone. He's got the right intro. He's got the right excitement. And he was getting excited in that in that Chiefs game. I think he has had to get more excited in these games with Romo to prevent Romo from cutting him off when he's trying to do the play-by-play. Ah, <laughs> uh, oh boy, 
Tim, I can't take uh, Nance and Aikman. I can't put them nope, together and, can't uh, do it. and do a power team. Also, don't think it would work, but you can't do it. <laughs> I, I'll, I'll take Joe Buck. I'll do the Buck, Aikman, because I do like Aikman. Uh, and as long as there's not exciting plays, I think Joe Buck is good, <laughs> is good at his job. Whereas the Romo stuff is just more annoying for longer. So, uh, I'm sorry, Nance. Um, but I, I do like the NBC team the most of the three. I don't know if the two of you would agree with yep. that. I'd, so I'm glad that we get them for the Super Bowl. Because uh, Al Michaels is the goat of, of announcing in terms of uh, goat talk. And we have to get to goat talk. Because there's a couple of uh, retirements that have happened in the NFL. One of them is Big Ben. He's not the goat. He's officially, finally, out of the AFC North. But Tom Brady also maybe kind of probably retired. Uh, I turn to my co-hosts here about the Big Ben retirement. How thrilled are we that he's no longer a thorn in our side? And is Tom Brady actually retired, or is he not? Yeah, so this is a weird thing. The Ben stuff we've talked about over and over again. So, yeah, good riddance. Bye. See ya. Um, <laughs> the the Brady stuff is funny because I, it almost seems like Schefter and Jeff Darlington, who Darlington is close in the Brady camp, Pip the news and Brady was like, I don't want people to know yet. And whether it's some big production or some big Twitter video that has to come out, whatever. Uh, kind of respect to Big Ben, honestly, for doing the Twitter video. And that was it. And like even the Steelers took a while to announce it after that. It was like, yeah, yeah, that's that's his goodbye. And that is, we will never see Big Ben again, by the way. We'll see him in five years for Canton. And then I think he's just off in the woods. Like that's that's it for that guy. Um, I think Brady is gone. And uh, I'm sure we'll talk about it more as it comes up. Uh, we've mentioned before, and, and other people, because trust me, I have not been watching Man in the Arena. I don't need any more Tom Brady in my life. I watch NFL football. But apparently there's one episode left, and that has been delayed, and it has been pushed back. So there's speculation of what he announced it on there, what have you. Uh, pre-recording, I believe it was Antonio mentioned, maybe it's a Super Bowl commercial or something like that. Which would it's just, a hot take, Tim. It's my hot take. I kind of uh, like it, though. I kinda he's like got a it. dumb crypto ad that he's got to throw out in the, in the, during the Super Bowl that he had pre-recorded in case they lost. I hate it, but I, I believe it. Yeah, so I, I think we're going to revisit this when it's officially official. I don't have a ton of thoughts yet, and I think the reason I don't have a ton of thoughts yet is I don't want to convince myself that Ding Dong the Witch is dead and then he comes back. So I'm trying to reserve judgment. I, my, my, what I will say is if he retires this year and the Canton party in five years is not just all Steelers, Steelers, Steelers and is overshadowed by Tom Brady once again, it'll be the best thing Tom Brady has ever done for me personally. So, you know what? Just just do it, Tom. Get, just get out of here. Overshadow Ben once again and make Steelers fans mad. That's what I want. Uh, I mean, that would be such a just delicious Hall of Fame induction ceremony as a Ravens fan to be like Ben Roethlisberger goes they'd obviously put Tom Brady in the final spot and then you'd be like uh, all these Steelers fans waving their towels and then it's like and now the guy who you never beat when it mattered <laughs> Tom Brady takes the stage and that would be delightful um but yeah Ben you know it was clearly treading this direction um it is astonishing the Ravens uh you know I don't know that I've been fully processed that they don't have to deal with him on the field anymore. 
supremely annoying. He ends his career with a four-game winning streak against the Ravens. That's going to annoy me for that the worst version of himself the Ravens couldn't beat. That's a that's frustrating. <laughs> but, uh, you know, on the whole, it's obviously good that the Steelers don't have a Hall of Fame QB. My only fear is they're going to be in position to draft one of, like, the three available quarterbacks in the first round uh this year because it's a it is a weak quarterback class but that means the quarterbacks might fall right to them at you know number 18 or wherever the Steelers are picking this year so that's that's annoying and I hope they don't just immediately replace him with another solid young quarterback because then the Steelers will be good for another 10 years but that's a franchise going through a lot of change um uh, their defensive coordinator uh Keith Butler's retiring uh their longtime GM 20 years now he's been there Kevin Colbert is stepping down after the draft um so the Steelers, for as much as the Steelers are ever in flux, they seem to be in flux a little bit, but Mike Tomlin's still there, and he famously has never had a losing season. So I trust that they'll probably still be fine going forward. Um, but yeah, I'm with Tim on the Brady thing. It's It definitely seems like he's retiring enough people, including uh, my co-workers, uh, Mike Jones, uh, reported it, uh, that it seems like he's retiring. Um or planning to, it seems like there may be some contractual things he's waiting out. And it seems like perhaps he wants to wait maybe until after the Super Bowl to make an official announcement. But, um, it does seem like it's going to be the end, but similarly, I could also see, we talked about Tom Brady, uh, having his grand plans for a stupid, uh, Twitter video spoiled and him using that as spite to come back for season 23 one last ride or whatever although he has said he doesn't want a farewell tour which i kind of believe um but uh yeah it'll be weird i haven't fully processed uh what brady's retirement would mean because you know this is a man i turned 30 this year um and tom brady has played 22 seasons in the nfl so he has literally been around for two-thirds of my football watching life um and has just been such an omnipresence uh, in the NFL. It, it's, it was, he transformed the NFL. And so it's hard to imagine what it would be like without him until it's officially official and you start contemplating post, uh, post-Tom post Brady NFL. Um, but certainly his retirement will completely shake up at least the NFC for sure next season and uh, the whole league going forward because we'll, we'll never see a quarterback like Brady again. But until he, until he says it, I hear the words from his mouth. I don't know if... Uh, if I be- I fully believe it yet myself personally. <laughs> yeah, uh, he he had the whole uh, play to him forty five. He's forty four. I could just oh my gosh. I do think he's retired. I do think we're gonna have some stupid video at an annoying time <laughs> that says he is retired. He's gonna make some joke about it. But part of me could just see the like in the gym annoyed that he didn't have he didn't everything has been on his terms. I feel like and this last pinnacle thing was sort of taken off of his terms and i could just see him doing the like well whatever i'm going to 45 i'm gonna do this my way probably win another super bowl or something stupid and then announce it after that i don't know yeah like i, I won't believe it until it actually happens yeah it's a good point uh jace tom brady uh a great quarterback a problem for ravens fans for generations so hopefully he'll uh He'll just retire, and it'll be one Band-Aid for Big Ben and Tom Brady in one year, as opposed to uh, separate years. The other NFL news that we want to touch on here, some head coaching updates. Uh, Several new head coaches in the National Football League. Brian Dable goes from offensive coordinator of the Bills. He is now the head coach 
of the New York Football Giants. Josh McDaniels, if you've ever heard of him, he is now the head coach of the Las Vegas Raiders. Matt Eberflus goes from the Colts defensive coordinator to Chicago. He's the Bears' new head coach. And then the funniest one to me, but I'll let my co-hosts pick whichever ones are, are their favorites, Nathaniel Hackett goes from Green Bay to the Broncos in a very not <laughs> invisible effort to maybe try to lure Aaron Rodgers to Denver. Guys, that's my favorite uh, coaching pick of the week just because of how stupid it is. Uh, <laughs> who, which matchups do you like? The Dayball to the Giants may be interesting. Which uh, head coach do you think will have the most success and which, uh, which of these moves got your attention this week? I'll just say real quickly, uh, the Hackett move, if it works and brings in Rodgers, it's brilliant. I'm, I, I know it's funny, but like if it works, it works. And that's honestly – let Denver just become the place where all the old quarterbacks go. That's fine. That's cool. Um, we talked about this a little bit off air. The Eberflus one to me is interesting because everybody's screaming, you know, they need an offensive genius for Justin Fields, which, you know what? I don't necessarily disagree with, but at the same time, if he hires a good offensive coordinator, I think that a lot of that can be quelled. Um, the, the McDaniels one for me is just – Stop giving opportunities to guys that were already head coaches. I, I, if, I was, if I was an owner or a GM, I wouldn't pick a guy that I know is a fantastic coordinator and has already proven, excuse me, that he's a bad head coach. I mean, we look at, obviously McDaniels had all the whole Tebow stuff going on and everything, and you look at like Dennis Allen, who's the favorite to get the Saints job right now. He's been linked uh, to, he's the defensive coordinator for the Saints now, done great stuff with them, now linked to the head coaching job with Sean Payton leaving. But he was terrible in Oakland, and I know Oakland was was a, a trash fire back then, but, you know, he's part of that, too. And then Dayball, for me, I, I, sorry, Antonio, I don't really have an answer for your question. Dayball, for me, is interesting in the fact that he did not pick Miami. He worked with Tua at Alabama. He was he was the offense coordinator, I believe, for Alabama before moving to the Bills, or was, was an offensive coach there, obviously worked with Tua, and said no to Miami to work with Daniel Jones? And the Giants, Daniel Jones, question mark, maybe not. We'll see. Interesting hire that he goes from my, he decides to not go to Miami, which is not a great franchise, but at least a little bit more competent um, than what the Giants have been, which is statistically over the last, I think, five years, the worst team in the National Football League. Yeah, that was interesting for sure. Uh, and probably the hire, I mean, he was the name that I think I was – you know, it's hard to project if any of these guys will be head coaches, but Dable was kind of a name thrown out the last several years, so it's not surprising he has a head coaching job. But it will be interesting to see. I mean, you have to imagine he has kind of a fairly long rope with the Giants, considering how their uh, their owner literally said, I thought we hit rock bottom, and then we kept falling about this past season. <laughs> so they're about as bad. Uh, John Mara basically said the Giants are as bad as they've ever been in his life, and he's almost 70. So that... uh that kind of speaks to where the Giants are. So I imagine he'll have some time to try to fix that. So I like the Dable hire for the Giants. It seems like a solid pickup. The I'm with you. McDaniels is the one that baffles me the most. And uh, I think it's the funniest, especially because, well, A, he, he didn't seem like he was like, his name was thrown out in a lot of like, searching lists like when people you know the media was compiling their who are the candidates like it didn't seem like mcdaniels was out there a lot and it's probably because the last time he got literally announced as a hire by a team he reneged almost immediately even after the colts had announced 
uh, they'd hired him in 2018, and they went and hired Frank Reich. So I was just, after that whole thing, I thought another team that wasn't the Patriots would never give him a chance to be the head coach again after after he literally said, I'll coach the team, had seemingly agreed to it, and then walked back on it after the team had already announced his hire. I, I just thought that made him like untouchable for other teams, and he would just succeed Belichick eventually. But... Um, it's even like crazier because you mentioned like his failures with the Broncos, like an AFC West rival of the Raiders, uh, historically failed, uh, viewed by many as a tyrant, <laughs> and uh, was run out of his job within uh, two years. He was he was fired within two seasons. Uh, he he, w- he went eight and eight, and he was fired before the Broncos finished four and twelve in his second season. Like it's hard to get fired that quickly in the NFL, <laughs> and McDaniel's managed to do it. I don't know why Mark Davis is like after that after after what we just watched the last year where. John Gruden blows up in his face spectacularly. The man he gives a hundred, what, hundred billion dollar contract to or something. After that, you go to, I want the famously stable presence of Josh McDaniels, the guy who was fired in two years and also took a job and then basically quit before he worked a day. Almost like a Bill Belichick with the Jets style. But, uh, you know, I just don't, I don't get it. I mean, and then on top of that, like, I, I mean, I know Byron Lefwich is, I, I kind of was interested. I hope a team hires him because I think he'll be a good head coach. But Josh McDaniels has not been that excellent without Tom Brady <laughs> um, throughout his career. And I, I I worry about, you know, when we, we kind of talked with some last week about the Ravens defensive coordinators riding, getting head coaching jobs on the, on the backs of Ray Lewis and Ed Reed, basically, and other Hall of Fame level defenders. I, McDaniels kind of seems like that a little to me. It's like... Was he that good, or is it because Tom Brady's literally the greatest quarterback of all time that you have this job? I don't know. I like Derek Carr. I like some of the pieces the Raiders have. I just I just don't get it as a hire. Uh, I think he wants someone stable. I would have just promoted Rich Bisaccia. He did yards work don't for get. you. Uh, yeah. Uh, just stabilizing the ship and seems like a good guy. And, you know, maybe he doesn't have the highest ceiling. But, yeah, I, to, to not promote him and instead go outside for a guy who – is anything I would say, but a stable <laughs> sure thing higher. Um, it's questionable to me. I just don't get it. Yeah. Josh McDaniels does seem like maybe the final, uh, Patriots, Tom Brady era, like super assistant that gets one more coach head coaching job, maybe outside of Belichick's son, but uh, you know, we'll see what happens. <laughs> uh, we'll see what happens with that, uh, mullet. But anyway, uh, that's the end of the NFL news. Listen, we're going to talk about the Super Bowl next week. We have plenty of time to discuss it. We're going to have our official picks that week and some fun prop bets uh, to talk about. The line is currently Los Angeles Rams, four-point favorites, probably because they're playing at their own home stadium. The second year in a row this has happened. Not sure how much that will actually help because they don't really get their own fans at their own stadium, <laughs> uh, as we've seen from multiple 49er games. But um, look, we're going to do 30 seconds here for each of us. Just some first thoughts on this Bengals-Rams matchup. I'm going to go quickly first, and then I'll turn to my two co-hosts. Um, what do the Bengals not do very well? Protect Joe Burrow. What do the Rams do well? Have the most menacing defensive line in the NFL. So who am I probably going to pick the Cincinnati Bengals? 
Uh, and with that, I turn to my two co-hosts. 30 seconds, guys, on your first thoughts of this matchup. I mean, you're stealing my trenches line. I was going to say the same thing. Uh, let's see. Joey B in a big game is terrifying, obviously. Uh, Matthew Stafford. I I want Stafford to win it, not Ravens bias aside. I think that would be a very, very cool story for him. And I know you guys don't rate him as highly as I do. Look, he was in Detroit. It's, um, it's near impossible to elevate Detroit. It's like Cleveland. Like, come on. There's the second Cleveland shot of the day. Um Aaron Donald screaming at his teammates to fire them up and then shutting down the 49ers for the rest of the game against a good offensive line now gets to play the Cincinnati Bengals. That man trains with knives. He trains his hands with knives. He is horrifying in all the best ways for a defensive tackle. I can't wait to watch him play. Yeah, Donald's mean, nasty. That's obviously the matchup on paper. Is It, it does not on paper look like it bodes well for the Bengals. I will say it's hard to know who to root for. I certainly am not rooting for the Bengals. Uh, I want the Rams to win, but even though I live here and the Rams are ostensibly the local team for me, uh, a lot of guys I don't actually like on the Rams. True. Not a fan of Odell Beckham Jr., not a fan of Jalen Ramsey, uh, and I frankly don't want them to win the Super Bowl, those two individuals. Uh, so, you know, but one of my uh, high school uh Classmates, Rob Havenstein is the right tackle of the Rams, so certainly uh, pulling uh, for him as well. So in the end, I want the Rams to win, but uh, yeah, I'm not going to... At this point, the Bengals are in the Super Bowl. I did not expect this. I think they were probably below only the Raiders on teams I thought would represent the AFC in this game. Um, so uh, yeah, I would not be surprised if this in this topsy-turvy, very strange playoffs we've had if the Bengals win the Super Bowl at all at this point. Yeah, uh, Jalen Ramsey taking on Robbie Gould last week. That's always good when your top trash talker is taking on the kicker uh, of the other team. That was a that was a high point for him. In terms of rooting interest, yeah, I don't want the Bengals to be Super Bowl winners. If they lose, then we know they'll have some sort of like downward spiral, as every Super Bowl winner or loser uh, has every season. So that that would be nice, but. I also don't like, uh, as, as Jace mentioned, several members of the Rams. I don't like the whole NFL, the perfect narrative of the L.A. team getting the Super Bowl at their own stadium. But we will discuss it next week. The only thing left to do now is for Tim to go over the random Raven one more time. So, Tim, uh, can you give us, those, give us those clues once more? Yeah, again, shout out uh, my friend Matt, who sent me this on Monday, uh, the day we record. And it beautifully ties into some news that we talked about before is kind of the bonus clue if you still don't have it uh as the random raven clue number one this first team all big 10 selection was drafted in the first round of the 1987 nfl draft number two this player played for 14 seasons in the nfl he spent seven seasons in the nfc with one team and the other seven split between three afc teams he only spent one season in Baltimore, this player has been inducted into the Indianapolis Colts Ring of Honor, which doesn't count. Clue number four, during his one <laughs> season in Baltimore, he led the Ravens to a 5-7 and seven record. First of all, that's just infuriating, right? That these people are Indianapolis Colts and Canton and things like that, but yet they have their own... Never mind, I we don't have time for this. During his one season in Baltimore, he led the Ravens to a 5-7 and seven record, throwing for 1,839 yards with 12 touchdowns and 11 interceptions. That yardage count is good enough for 11th on the Ravens' all-time passing list, one spot above Super Bowl-winning quarterback Trent Dilfer. And speaking of the Super Bowl, the Ravens have defeated this person to win a Lombardi trophy. You both got it. Antonio, I will say it seems like you got it before Jace. You had, you had the little head nods beforehand, so why don't you take this one? 
that's very kind, Tim, because uh, Jace will get every other one. So I, I appreciate you. <laughs> I wasn't going to say. It was three quarters of a season, Tim. It was three quarters of one season, and he's 11. 11. <laughs> on the Ravens list. 11. <sighs> this, is, uh, this is Jim Harbaugh. This is brother of the Ravens head coach, John Harbaugh. <laughs> the, the most frustrated NFL coach I've ever seen uh, on the sidelines. <laughs> the steward of the Ravens' new defensive coordinator, <laughs> Mike McDonald. It's Jim Harbaugh. That is correct. It is. Yeah. I don't even know. Yeah, it's hard to believe he was a Ravens QB. Uh, kind of shocking. He only played one season. I mean, the words weren't great, but like, I what they rolled the dice on Tony Banks. I guess the next season. Like, come on, what are we doing? <laughs> what is this franchise? <laughs> That's the thing. We, we talk about this. You, as, as much as we we went on a very good discussion in the show for about 15 minutes about the Ravens' offensive issues, and it used to be way worse. It used to be so much worse, and it's hard to remember back to those times. <laughs> that is a very good point, Jace. Uh, the discussion is now whether or not Lamar's one skill set can get to the level of Super Bowl-winning quarterback as opposed to can this offense score double-digit points consistently, <laughs> which was a real issue for this team for uh, for many, many years. Yeah, that's a good place to leave it, I think. Uh, Tim, a fantastic random Raven. Thank you to Matt also for that uh, selection. It is, it is somewhat surprising that we have not covered him yet. Uh, we will be back next week to do the sort of in-depth preview of the Super Bowl Bengals-Rams just like everybody saw coming uh, weeks and weeks ago. For Tim Horsey and Jay Sevens, I am Antonio Barbera. Thank you for listening to us, as always, here on Pod Like a Raven. We will see you on Super Bowl week. Save big money on your outdoor project now at Menards. We have everything you need to keep your outdoor power equipment running smooth so you can keep that lawn in tip-top shape or enjoy some time on your boat. Right now, all FVP, lawn and garden, and marine batteries are on sale through May 5th. Check out our entire selection of FVP batteries today and view our weekly flyer on Menards.com for more great deals. Save big money at when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.